Welcome to the Grace Long Beach Podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is 1 Peter 1, 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. My name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace, and it's remarkable how things that you come before, like a reading of scripture, actually reframe and kind of re, reorient you to the text in a way that you weren't expecting. And that certainly happened for me with Marcia's prayer. And, um, so, and Mary, your reading, so thank you for that. And I do think that it's important um, to have that happen, to hear the word of God in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise because of what is brought um, what is brought before us, what is brought before God. Uh, so we're going to be looking at First Peter this morning. I'd like to pray that God would speak to us um, through the text in light, of, in light of things like hope. What does it mean to have hope in suffering? Um, what does it mean that, that... What does it mean that God is with us in that? And um, So let's pray together and we'll... Get into the text. 
Lord God, it'd be nice to know what it is you have for us to hear this morning. But you are a God who surprises us. You are a God who speaks to us, even when we weren't expecting to hear from you. You are a God who moves toward us, even when we feel like we don't deserve that. You are a God who does provide hope in moments when it just feels like that's the most ridiculous thing to do. You are a God who has called us together as your people, as your body, for things we probably don't even know about yet. And so thank you that you are that type of God. That you are the God who is with us, the God who does speak to us, the God who has always been, is now, and forever will be faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be starting a um, sort of like a series, uh, it's like a series of four sermons in the book of Peter um, that's going to be kind of interrupted by a few different things from guest preachers to just certain rhythms that we have as a community. Uh, but really, I think that um, one of the things you're supposed to do, I think, I, I don't know, I'm figuring this out as I go along, when you, when you start something new is that you, you kind of try to answer the question of why, like why First Peter? And I don't really have an um, a answer for that except for a couple, I think two months back, um, it, I had the idea that we should, just, we should go through First Peter. And the one word of why that came to mind was hope. That I know First Peter um, it, it speaks and begins with this idea of, of hope. And I felt like the idea of hope and what it means that we are um, a people who've been called by God through a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus, that seems like it would speak to us, given our current context uh, and, and where we are in this unique time of where we are as a church. And what does it mean to hope in the midst of a time of, of disorientation and suffering, uh, what does it mean to hope when, when it, it, it doesn't make sense to do so? I mean, there's not a, lot, uh, not a lot of things to kind of rest our hope in, at least tangibly speaking. So there is that idea, but then there's also this idea that I think First Peter, and one of the things Peter is doing in the letter, is he's constantly reminding the people that he's writing to, which is a collective of churches, so not just one church, which I think is unique, because it becomes then not just a word for a church that we need to figure out what was Peter saying to that church, and how do we then make sense of that in light of our own context. Because it was a group of churches, I think that gap is a little bit, it's a little bit closer, in, in that he's speaking to, the, to a larger people of God. So what does it mean to be a people who have hope? And then what does it mean to actually be a people who have been called together by God to bear witness to that hope? And how do we do that? Uh, and, and what does that look like? And how does that play out in our relationships and our life together as a community? And so I hope to discover things with you um, in, in light of, of sort of some of those bigger themes. And just here's a broad outline, at least in terms of how the book is broken up. Um, so we're going to be spending time on, on 1 Peter 1, 1 through 12, and then you'll see the breakdown of, of the different passages 
that we'll be going through. And typically speaking, what you'd like to do is, is kind of put like little headings next to those, right? Oh, this means this is going to talk about this. And then and 113 through 210 is going to talk about this. But I think that that's really constricting because what I hope would happen is that we would kind of together going through this discover some of the things that God might want to bring up for us now given where we are. And so this, this morning, if I could, and Marcia said it actually, um, if, if I think Peter is doing one thing, it is what Marcia said, which is let us not forget who we are. Um, let us not forget who we are as God's people. And that is one thing that the book of First Peter is, and that's what Peter, one of the disciples, one of the people who, who was with Jesus as he's writing to these churches, wants to constantly remind people of, don't forget who you are, because it actually reframes everything. It changes how you encounter and engage suffering. It changes the way that you are in relationship to other people. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget what story you're a part of. And that's what Peter is going to be doing. And that is something we so desperately need as God's people always and certainly now in this period of time as a church where I would, I would consider it as a time of discovery. Like where we are, if, and just to give you people some context, if this is your first um, Sunday, you're thinking like, man, this guy is alluding to things. And I don't know what he's, something's happening and something, and I don't know what it is. Well, Back at the beginning of February, um, our pastor of 27 years resigned. And, and so we are, in, as a church, um, in a period of rediscovering who we are as a community, who we are as a people, and, and what might God have for us. And, and so the, it was interesting, just to give you some of my own context and our context as a staff. So that happened, and you have like this period of like reaction, right? You kind of react to, wow, something major happened. How do we respond to that? And so then you respond in some certain ways, and then all of a sudden there's this big thing that happens in church life, which is called Easter. And so then, the, so the, and then you kind of work, you know, and, and to, to, to really pay tribute and honor what God has done in Jesus. And so there was a lot of this period of time of like reacting to this major event and then kind of looking forward to Easter. And now we're beyond that. And it feels like, as the Dixie Chicks would say, wide open spaces. Um, You didn't think you were going to hear a Dixie Chicks reference this morning. And I didn't think I was going to hear a Dixie Chicks reference this morning. But you know what? If it works, it works. So so here we are in, in... there's, it's literally like it feels I don't know if it feels like that to you but it feels like that to a lot of us is okay God literally I mean I don't even know how to finish that, that statement but it's actually a really beautiful place to be because it requires dependence and it requires participation in all of us to discover what it, what it is that God has for us And you're going to be hearing about ways in which we're attempting to do that even later today. And one of the things we're also wanting to do is we're going to be entering into this series or into this time of life groups together. Well, we're going through a book called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And this book isn't to go through to say, here's a blueprint of how we want to be. No. The Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think, presents his sort of case and his conviction of what it means to have a community formed around Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? 
And in typical Bonhoeffer fashion, he's super ornery about it and idealistic. And he's German, and I don't know if that's connected, but it seems like it might be. So, um, and, and, but it's, it becomes a conversation partner for us to say, oh, okay, he's sort of asking these questions. He's presenting his kind of convictions. What does that mean for us as we kind of have a conversation, an ongoing conversation, discovering what does it mean for us in 21st century Long Beach, here where we are now, given that we're a church that God has brought together and has, has continued to keep going, what does it mean for us to be a community of people formed around Jesus? And then what does it mean that we are not just a single church, but that we are a part of a people of God that transcends time and history and location and geography? What does it mean that we are a part of this thing called the capital C church. And it's a remarkable thing to consider. And so here we are, First Peter becomes another conversation partner in that larger discovery process of what God might have for us. And so I hope that together, as these different things are kind of included in this conversation, that we would be hearing from God, and be hearing from God through his word, be hearing from God, though, also through one another, and what he might have for us. So, First Peter, if you have your Bibles, or if you would like to turn to the Bible in front of you, um, turn to First Peter, which is on page 1014, and we're going to begin in verse 1. So again, let us not forget who we are. And so First Peter, here he is, he's beginning his, his epistle in this way, and he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So I really want to focus briefly on, on how he begins his letter, because it's significant. So we know that he's actually writing, as I already said, to a, to a few different churches in this area. Churches that are largely made up of, of Gentiles, people who aren't Jewish people, people who've actually come to Jesus because of Jesus and Peter's apostolic work um, of, of sharing the gospel and the gospel then spreading. So here you have these Gentiles in these different locations, and so Peter is writing them a letter because they are undergoing some persecution, some hostility, um, under like, because they're like Roman provinces, uh, and, and, and they're this strange, weird community that's somehow I- identified because by this person of Jesus, and um, they're undergoing persecution as a result. But he says this, to those who are elect exiles, so just stop right there, elect exiles. Now that phrase is really significant, for Peter, because what Peter is doing to say elect exiles, it, another translation might say chosen, right? It's this idea and the fact that he uses the word exiles. Peter is then locating this people's story into the on, ongoing story of what God has done, and particularly through Israel. So to be elect exiles is to identify, Peter's identifying these people with the people of Israel, that God and the people of Israel chose, elected, this group of people who were in many ways often exiled, and then words that Peter will use later are like aliens and sojourners, 
these people who are kind of wandering, who don't really have a place. Um, but God has chosen them to bear witness to who he is and what he's like in the world. And these churches are part of that story. So just like Israel had that purpose, so these people, these churches have that purpose. Elect exiles to the people who are elect exiles. It's to be this marker, oh, okay, I hear that. I am connected to this ongoing story that God is telling, which actually finds its beginning in the people of Israel into Jesus, and somehow these people are connected to it. And we, too, are connected to it as well. That this story is also our story. But it's uniquely Christian. It's uniquely Christian because he actually said, because it's Trinitarian. I mean, look at, the, look at the first few verses again. To those who are elect exiles into the different places, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling of his blood. So yes, you're connected to this ongoing story that God is telling, and it's connected to Israel, but also it's uniquely Christian. It's because of what God is, the God the Father has done through his spirit in the person of Jesus. It's just important to know what Peter is doing, because he's going to constantly want to connect their story to God's ongoing story, and then also help them see how their unique Christian story then is to be lived out in light of where they are. It's as if Peter thinks his main pastoral task is to just remind, remind people of the story they're a part of. And given the story they're a part of, what that means for them in terms of how they're to live. And how they're to, li- how they're to live with one another, and how they're to live in the world. That's his main conviction and pastoral task. So it's this whole idea of naming. What Peter is going to go on to do in these first, this first section is to name who these people are and what is true of them, not because of who they've act, what have, they've actually done, but because of what has been done in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, this, the power of naming reminds me of this person, whose his name is Father Greg Boyle. Have you ever heard of Father Greg Boyle? He's this guy, amazing guy, who for 30 years has actually worked with the with youth in, an, in urban Los Angeles, particularly with gang members, people who are, who are connected to gangs, who have been part of the gang life, who've been incarcerated for different, different things, for, for murder, for f- like crazy violent acts. But he's become like this presence in this location, and, and he's actually, I would say, He's a Jesuit priest, and one of his main tasks, as he sees it, is to rename people. Is to rename who these gang members think they are, and what they've begun to believe about themselves. Because we all end up living into the names that we're given, and we all live into the names that we actually believe are true about who we are. And so Greg Boyle sees his task as renaming, renaming these people. Now there's an amazing interview with Krista Tippett, the On Being podcast. And that interview is, I've listened to it three times, and every time I just think like, I don't know if there's a better picture of what it means to be Christ in the world 
than, than how he describes what he's doing. He's, he's created this thing called Homeboy Industries, which is actually, he created it not because he's like some savvy business person. It just, he's living among these people and these things begin to make sense. Oh, you know, gang members don't have really a future if, if they don't have jobs, so there should be jobs for them. So he creates this, these industries where these gang members would then have jobs. And so Father Greg Boyle, there, he tells this story about this one kid named Louie. And he says Louis was kind of like this troublemaker, this complainer constantly. And, and he tells the story about how these gang members always want a blessing from Father Boyle. Now, and, and, and they don't do it in the way that you're supposed to, right? They do it in their own way. Like, he, they don't say, Father, would you please give me a blessing? They say, hey, G, would you give me a bless? And, and he tells this story as if, like, it, it makes so much sense to him. And he refers to these people as homies, which is actually really important, because it, it, it's a, a word of kinship and of community, and he's, he adopts their language in order to be able to give them new names, in a sense. So he's with this, with this um, kid named Louis, and Louis says, hey, gee, give me a bless. And Father Boyle looks at this kid, Louis, and he says, okay. And he says, come around, they're meeting like, in his office, and so there's a table between them. He says, come around the table. And he says that Louis knows the drill, and so Louis gets, gets down on his knees and he bows his head. And Father Greg Boyle puts his hand on his shoulders. And he says this. He says it was his, birth, his birthday had been two days before, and it gave me an opportunity to say something to him. And I said, you know, Louis, I'm proud to know you, and my life is richer because you came into it. When you were born, the world became a better place, and I'm proud to call you my son. Even though, and he says he doesn't know why he decided to add this part, at times you can really be a huge pain in the butt. <laughs> and he doesn't say butt, actually. Um, and, and he continues the story, and it says that Louis looks up to Father Boyle and says, all those feelings are entirely mutual. And, <laughs> and the way he tells the story of this person named Louie, who's lived this life with a certain name, wants, in a sense, a new name from Father Boyle. And Father Boyle gives it to him. I mean, the words in there are amazing, right? Like, I'm, I'm proud to know you. The world is a better place because you've been born. And I'm proud to call you my son. I mean, those are like amazing names that this, that this person, Louie, has never heard in his entire life. And so Peter as he's talking to these churches who are undergoing hostility and persecution and perhaps have forgotten who they may be, is wanting to rename them. And so if we kind of go through this slowly, Peter is going to give them names. And he's going to name what's true of them. And I've listed the names. Um, You should be able to see them. Here are the list of names that Peter is going to give them. I'm just going to talk briefly about each of them. But it's amazing. Like, if you could honestly, if you were to read through this passage slowly, you would see all the different ways that Peter is wanting to remind these churches, these Christians, of what is true of them. And so he says first in verse 3, Blessed be the God of Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. Now that word is not a good word these days. Because it's actually, there's, it's wrapped up in it is a lot of baggage. 
But to be born again for Peter is actually isn't necessarily a label as much as it is this trying to make sense of what has actually happened in the person of Jesus. That people who've connected themselves to Jesus and have experienced his new life through the resurrection, you can actually only speak of it in terms of new birth. Like somehow, something new is about them. It's as if they've been born again. They've encountered or engaged into a new birth. And this means three specific things for Peter, which he will continue to lay out through the letter. It means that because of, of this new birth, they are actually born into a new family. As a result of being a new family, they have a new identity. And then because of those two things, they have a new hope. So this being born again, this new birth, is being born in a new family, which gives them a new identity, and which provides for them a new hope. And Peter is going to go through this and refer to these things constantly throughout his letter. So they're born again. And they're born again into a living hope. A hope that isn't this kind of abstract idea, but actually a hope that is lived into. It's, it's a present reality. And it's living because Jesus Christ himself is living. Last Sunday, we just praised God for the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus was on the cross, he died, he was buried in a grave, and through the amazing power of God was raised again. And so this living hope isn't some cool, sweet phrase. No, it is a, an absolute life-changing reality because Jesus, Jesus Christ himself is not dead. He is alive. He is risen. And so you are born again into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And to think that we are a community that is to be, to, be, to be defined mostly by hope is an incredible thing to, to just think about for a minute. That what it means to be a Christian isn't, doesn't mean that, that we are actually defined by a set of, of specific religious practices that save us. Now, how we live matters, and Peter will go on to talk about that. But we aren't born again into a specific set of religious practices. We are not born again into a specific political party. And I bring up politics because you can't help but bring up politics in the New Testament, especially where these churches are, because they're under Roman rule. To be born again isn't to be born again into the same political discourse that is happening around them, because their only political discourse is Jesus and what it means to be God's people. It means that they are born again into a living hope, and that hope, think about this for a moment, hope, I'll say it again, hope is to be the thing that defines us. As a community, as a people of God, and not just our church here, but as the people of God, hope is to be the thing that defines us. Uh, Martin Luther King has an amazing sermon on the meaning of hope. And 
he gave it about a, a year before he was assassinated. And, and, I mean, imagine a person, right, who's, who's trying to, to figure out what it means to be hopeful, given his context. But he says this, if there's any one thing that the church must do, it is to keep the flame of hope burning. The church is something of the custodian of hopefulness. That is an amazing phrase. The church is something of the custodian of hopefulness. And when everybody else loses hope, when other institutions lose hope, the church is the one institution that must keep hope alive. We, as the people of God, are called to keep hope alive. We are something like custodians of hopefulness. And we have hope because we have an inheritance. We have hope because of what God has given to us, which is himself and all that he has. And it's an an inheritance that actually is undefiled. It's an inheritance that doesn't spoil. It's an inheritance that won't fade. Born again into a living hope, given an inheritance, and then we are people who are, whose salvation is guarded by God's power. It's guarded by God's power. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And finally, the salvation. That what Peter is reminding these people of is that their story is part of the ongoing story of salvation. That somehow, their lives, their suffering, where they find themselves, is part of the story God is telling, which began in Israel, to Jesus, includes them, and will continue to go. It's a story of salvation, my friends. We are, we are caught up in, in God's story of salvation. Your life, my life, our life together is caught up in God's story of salvation. I mean, that's incredible news. And this is what Peter will continue to go on in this section. He's like, because all this is true, your trials, your suffering will take on a different meaning. It's not diminished. It doesn't mean that the suffering isn't hard and you should just have a positive spin on it. No, it's just caught up into something larger. The, li- the story of your life is the story of, of God's salvation. And it reframes everything. And that's what, that's what everything hinges on that for Peter. The names that you believe about who you are as a person and what your community is about will change the way that you look at life, will change the way that you look at life together as the people of God. And so my question to you this morning is what names do you believe about yourself? What names are you believing right now? What names did you bring into this place this morning? What are the names that have plagued you all week long? What are the names that have plagued you year, as far as long back as you can remember? That you just live life as a rejection of those names, or you live life because you've actually believed those names. What are the names that you believe 
about yourself this morning? Worthless? Unworthy? Abandoned? Unloved? Unlovable? Replaceable? Unnecessary? Weak? Insignificant? Lost? Forgotten? Useless? Rejected? A mistake? A disappointment? A burden? A failure? I mean, what are the names? What, what's your name? What's the name that has you? My friends, if you are connected to God's ongoing story of salvation, if you are born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, those aren't your names. Because the only one who actually has the power to give you a true name is God. He is the one who has the right to name you. And that is, that is really, really good news. Henry Nouwen says these feelings, these names, as strong as they may be, are not telling us the truth about ourselves. The truth, even though we can't feel it right now, is that we are the chosen children of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in everlasting belief. So I don't know what your name is in terms of what you feel like is true of you, but if it's not what God has named you to be, then it isn't not true. But I want you to think for a minute about that name, because I am going to, what Peter does through Peter's language, rename you, and thereby rename us. So whatever you think is true of you, I can't wait to tell you what God thinks is true of you. But my prayer is, my prayer is is that we would be people who believe those names. That we would be people who receive the names that God gives us. That we would be people who live into the names that God has given us. And some of you are saying, no, Daniel, but you don't know what, you don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I did this week, what I did last night. You don't know what I, what I can't stop doing. You, can't, you don't know what I can't stop taking. You don't know what I can't stop drinking. And I don't know. But God does. And despite all of that, through the resurrection of Jesus, still thinks the name he, names he gives you are true. Because they're based not on what you have done, but what on God has done through Jesus Christ in the resurrection. So however you may want to put your hand up and say, no, that's not going to be true. For a moment, take the risk and just open your hands. Don't do this. Do this. And let God name you. So here's what's true of you. You've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Through Jesus, God has brought you as you are, not as he wished you would be, into his new family. He has given you a new identity, and you have a new hope. You, you, in all your beautiful, broken, complicated, and imperfect glory, belong to God. He has given you all that he has, his grace, his mercy, his life, his salvation. And nothing can and will take that away from you. It will not perish. It will not be defiled. It will not spoil. It will not fade. And your life, your history, your choices, your brokenness, your suffering, it's all somehow caught up in the mysterious, remarkable, and wonderful story of God's salvation. That's true of you, that's true of me, that's true of us. So I'm going to say all of that one more time, but I'm going to use the plural. Because it's true of you and the person sitting next to you and the person whose head you're looking at. We have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, God has brought us as we are, not as he wished we would be, into his new family. He has given us a new identity, and we have a new hope. We, we in all of our beautiful, broken, complicated, and imperfect glory belong to God. He has given us all that he has, his grace, his mercy, his life, his salvation. And nothing can and will take that away from us. It will not perish. It will not be defiled. It will not spoil. It will not fade. In our lives, our history, our choices, our brokenness, our suffering, it's all somehow caught up in the mysterious, remarkable, and wonderful story of God's salvation. That's what's true. Thanks be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.